So think about when you're watching a movie, if you've ever watched a movie starting in the middle, right? Mm -hmm. And you get the first 20 minutes, not the trailers when you go to the movie theater, but you're deep into the movie and you're there late. And what happens? Well, you're confused, you're disoriented. And I'm asking David what's happening <laughs> and he's getting mad and telling me I should have watched a movie. <laughs> You're listening to the Nacho Kids Podcast, where we discuss all things step family related. Real stories, real people, real help. Your hosts are the creators of the Nacho Kids Method and the Nacho Kids Academy Step Family Coaching Team, Lori and David Sims. Welcome to episode 217 of the Nacho Kids Podcast. David? Yes, ma'am. Are you not paying attention, David? I'm right here. Why didn't you respond, David? Um, I have no answer to that question. Well, it is ironic. And y'all, I promise this wasn't planned. But our guest today is Christine Miles, author of What Is It Costing You to Not Listen? And what's the answer to that? It's costing you a lot, David. I'm listening. Listening means keeping your mouth shut. And I was keeping my mouth shut. But you always respond or say something when I say, welcome to episode blah, 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 blah. Not always. You were, you were taking another breath as if you were going I to say something to else. I have to breathe. <laughs> I thought you were going to keep talking. Okay. Are you breathing? <laughs> we would like to say that Christine is not in a blend, but... We all need to understand the importance of listening. That's right, Linda. Listen, Linda. That I love that little thing. Listen, Linda. <laughs> Linda. No, no, no. Listen, Linda, honey. <laughs> <laughs> that kid's probably 30 years old now. <laughs> I know, if not 40. <laughs> we talk about the enemies of listening. There are many. David, you're going to drive me back crap crazy not responding. I, I'm nodding my head. Nobody can see you nod your head. I figured you could hear the rattling going on. Well, we could when you had, <laughs> didn't have that crisp app to hide the puppies. Uh, so what is, give me one thing that is an enemy of listening. Distraction? Like when you're playing on your phone? and I talk, Now, here's the thing that's funny with talking to you. Look, look, hang on. <laughs> listen, Linda, 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 listen, Linda. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say I was a perfect listener. And I think I admit that in this podcast. But David, how many, what percentage would you say of people have tr had training in listening? Training? Uh, less than 1%. A little bit more than that. 2%. Well, that's twice as much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but... Gosh, you're killing me. Yeah, 2%. But I was listening to you. <laughs> now, I asked her a question. How can I get my husband to listen better? No. Well, that's one of them because whew, even this morning we were talking about doing a Nacho Kids retreat. You were not paying attention. Oh, I absolutely was. No. Your brain you was off on having a retreat somewhere far away when we had already decided locally. And then you're, no, you, you know how, you know how you bring it up sometimes that I don't respond fast enough. Sometimes like you think I should, it's very similar to that. Like when we're having a discussion, if you've kind of stopped talking for a little bit, then my brain's like, okay, on to the next thing. No, no. You don't go to the on to the next thing. You're still harping on the thing we've already made a decision on. And I'm like, why are we even talking about that? We already decided. Because I was listening. And therefore, I have to get it out verbally to make sure that we've covered all the bases. We had. But then that's when you say, we've covered all the bases. Let's move on. Okay. So the breakdown. We've covered all those bases, David. Let's move on. All right. There you go. All right. Let's go. So I asked her, when is it okay to interrupt someone? When you get tired of listening to what they're saying? No. Okay. When you have a question that needs clarifying. Well, then you should never interrupt me because I'm always very clear about what I'm saying to you. <coughs> Bull hockey. 
<laughs> the older you get, the more I feel like I live in the twilight zone. Okay. I'm not sure what that has to do with listening, but I'm listening. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Is there a difference between listening and listening? Yeah. One's got a G and one don't. <laughs> well, I usually do the listening. That's what's happening. You're missing the G. Yep. Because you have it. Because when I say something, you're like, G. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Guess what? It's Start that time. <laughs> <laughs> David, what time is it? It's time to listen. Listen? <laughs> yeah. Is it listen or listen? <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, let's get to listening. No, with, they need to get to listening with the G. <laughs> All right. Don't want to miss anything, folks. No, we'll bring the G at the end. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Today we have Christine Miles. Hey, Christine, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Good. So, warning, Christine is not a stepmom. She is not in a blend. She is an author. And her book is, What Is It Costing You to Not Listen? Christine, tell us where people can find you. Let's just start off with that. Sounds, sounds great. Well, I was listening, so I was just uh, waiting my, my turn there. First of all, I'm very appreciative of the warning. And I can tell you more about my background and why. This is still a subject that's um, near and dear to my heart and where I've spent a lot of time, even though I don't personally have that in my, my life. But um, people can find me at C Miles Listens. That's my social media links on all the platforms. And uh, or at Equipped, that's E-Q-U-I-P-T-People.com. And that's the business that I have. And the book is sold where all books are sold, you know, Amazon and the other major outlets. So Okay. All right. So Let's talk about listening. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of questions. Okay. Talk about some of the negative impact that you can have by not listening. Well, I liken this to death by a thousand cuts. We are constantly injuring each other by not listening. With, and we don't always see it or know it. And so... So it really does become very severe before we see the big gaping wound, but it mm -hmm. happens over time. And, and the consequences are pretty staggering in families, in business, in life. And, and I think, you know, it's not our intention, but it is the impact often. I don't think we, you know, we love someone and we set out to not listen to them. But the, the moral of the story really is we're simply not taught how to listen and that's why we're all set up to fail, in my opinion. Right. There's all kind of programs and things about active listening. Yep. And the importance of it. Mm-hmm. And I know it's important, but it's also respectful. Yeah. I cannot stand to talk to someone and they're constantly looking over my shoulder or on their phone. Mm -hmm. So... How do you teach yourself to listen? Because I know when somebody's talking to me, I do think about instances that I could mention that are similar or what you want to say. Mm -hmm. And you feel like if you don't focus on what you want to say, you'll forget it. And it's important. Mm -hmm. But you can't hold on to that thought and keep listening usually. Well, I think you're describing really the universal experience and so, so there's a couple reasons. Again, we're we're told to listen from a young age, and we're not taught. So, and listening is a skill. It is not just about what information or what you hear. It is really about how you process and take in. So that's the skill part of it. So we're, we don't develop that skill. And then, secondly, the the brain is the greatest enemy of listening. So what you just described is. The superpower, our, our subconscious brain goes into overdrive and tells us to do pretty much everything but listen. Mm -hmm. And then, then we have, you know, the world we live in now, there's even more and more distractions and we're not socialized to even show that we're listening. So that's a pretty, that's a trifecta, that's Bermuda Triangle of communication that we're, we're really set, setting people up to fail and, and this generation to fail 
further than I think we've ever uh, fallen before because of the beauty of the digital connection and all that can be gained, a lot can also be lost in terms of just like you said, the respect and the paying attention part, which is a step in the right direction. But in my opinion, also we underachieve when we're just actively listening. And it's really hard to overcome the enemies of listening when we're just trying to show someone we're listening rather than really having the skill and the tools how to do it in a different way. Right. So are you going to enlighten us on a skill that we might could use to help us with being more active listeners? That's really the goal, right? So the book's called, What Is It Costing You Not to Listen? Because so what I know is you can't solve a problem you don't know you have. That's mm-hmm. the first thing. So if we've never been shown what good listening looks like and never been taught, how would you know how to do it well? Or how would you even know that it's a problem? We're all guilty of not listening at times. Some of us are better listeners than others. But so how do you even know what good looks like? Like, I, You know, I was an athlete. I play sports. I know in some sports what good looks like. I don't know what it is in all sports unless you show me. So that's that's the skill development. And by the way, just to go back to the active listening, it's it's you know only two percent of people have had any kind of formal listening training. So my background is in psychology. I have a master's in psychological services from an Ivy League school. I was certified as a marriage and family therapist, where through the Philadelphia Child Guidance Center, which at the time was a world-renowned facility. This is where I I, I really learned about blended families early in my career. I was 22. But I never had a class on listening, never been taught how to listen. It was always assumed, mm-hmm. always assumed things. So, so again, all to say that we first have to understand what is it costing, how is it impacting us? Because until we have that warning, we're likely not going to do anything about it. So, so if we agree that, hey, this is something that can make a positive impact or I'm losing in my life because of this, then I think it really helps us set up to want to learn the skill. And there's absolutely things that, you know, both the book and I can tell you about how to do that. Simple, not always easy because we have to relearn something. We've, we have some very bad habits. Oh, yes, we do. Mm-hmm. Yes. What do you think when people say, I have ADD, I can't be an active listener. My mind's just blah, 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 blah. Well, what, you know, we all have that a little bit nowadays, and I don't want to minimize it because I think the awareness to the attention problem for people that that come by it and have it um, chemically and otherwise, that it's really something going on in their brains and it's been diagnosed is is really hard, right? And But now we also have so many distractions and our attention span is, is struggling to hold attention because we're used to such small and instantaneous sound bites. And so that's also part of what makes it hard. So so I think we all have some, some, for lack of a better way to define it, ADD. Mm-hmm. Do I think that's the reason we're not listening? I do not. I think it's just, it's like, it's, it's like, I, it's harder for me not to eat cake when I have cake around me. Right. So I don't, like, I love cake. <laughs> so I don't put it in my environment. So if I'm surrounded by cake all day, I'm going to eat more of it. So I think that's where the phones, the computer, the TV, all the noise. I mean, you can't even stop and pump gas without having noise come at you. There's not a lot of quiet time. And so our brains are habituated to that drug. And so that's why this is even more important than ever. I, I believe we're in an, a crisis of empathy. I think that we're, it's, and again, I'm not, it's not anybody's fault. I think it's because of the way the environment is just working and we're not prepared for it. And because we're not socialized to be with each other and in the ways we're getting further and further away from the human connection, it makes it even harder. So, so I believe you listen and then you become empathetic, not the other way around. You don't go in empathetic and then you listen, which is how it's usually talked about. I think listening well and, and beyond active listening, we call it transformational listening, transforming how you listen so that you discover an insight or the meaning of the message versus just paying attention to the one talking is the way we'll, we'll solve that, that empathy deficit. Right. So what made you get into this field? Well, we all have a, have a story behind us and, and mine really started when I was very young. I can, I can remember as early as five, 
I was listening differently. I, I had, you know, a very idyllic childhood in many ways. I grew up in Hershey, Pennsylvania, played a lot of sports, outside play. It was, you know, the 70s. Um, but I also had a mother who suffered from mental health issues that stemmed from her losing her mother from childbirth. So what I saw was this very loving and warm, charismatic woman who literally lit up the room. People were drawn to her. And yet she had this unbelievable psychological pain that was, was lurking below the surface that most people didn't see. So I saw the, that, you know, that difference in what was really going on. And you know, part of my job in the family was to understand her pain. I was the girl that she wanted not having a mother. And while there was real burden in that, there was also, you know, really a great gift in the end. I started to realize I was achieving things that I really didn't have the, the skills to achieve as early as high school because I had this, this ability to listen differently. And, you know, to some extent, I thought that was intuitive. I know now that most of that was taught. And I just learned what most people don't learn from a, a really young age. So it's always been part of my work, whether that was with families or when I started you know, working as an executive coach in organizations. And it's always been the foundation of the work. What I've done over the last 10 years is really structure it and create a system so that it's replicable, simple, and easy for people to learn how to listen in a transformative way. So that's, that's the work now. So when you're actively listening, are you making sure you do not prepare any feedback to this person? Actually, no. So that what you're talking about when you talk about active listening, and I, I so appreciate this because this is the, the usual way that people think about listening. How do I remain silent? How do I show you the floor is yours, so to speak, and I'm not going to interrupt you I'm going to let you talk. I'm going to be completely present and let you know that, you know, I'm, you're going to envelop me and I'm going to just pay attention to you in a, in a very different way. And so that's only a small fraction of it. Again, we're, we're white knuckling it when we're doing that because the brain's still going haywire. I mean, you said it yourself. I, you know, obviously that you need to listen, right? Mm -hmm. You're aware and yet sometimes your brain takes over, right? It's thinking about what you're going to say. You're looking over the shoulder. It's almost like despite your intent, it's hard to help yourself because of everything that's happening. And so one of the one of the issues is I believe is that listening is really a very active thing to do, meaning it's a it's a joint venture. So so the analogy that we that we teach in the the workshops we do for customers, it, and what's written about in the book is really you wouldn't go hiking in the woods without any tools in your backpack, right? Or, or supplies. You, you wouldn't go for three weeks and say, I won't take any food. Why not? I won't take a tent. I won't take anything. Right. Because <laughs> you, you know better, right? But, mm -hmm. but that's how we're going into conversations. We're going unprepared, but we're navigating tricky woods. And you really need to know where you're going and how to be the guide, how to lead the person that the, the person talking on the trail to really to the, tr the trail to understanding. So that solution to the problem of what is it costing you not to listen, we call it the listening path, the path to understanding. And there are there are six main tools on the path that when you let the tools do the work, you will you will find the meaning and you will connect and be the guide. So you'll be very busy as a listener. It's not just about holding silent. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's moments of that. But it's really more like I need to show you where we need to go and I'm going to help you get there more efficiently and, and, and also more effectively. Okay. Why do you think that we were never taught how to listen? Well, that is such a good question. I, I don't know that anybody's ever asked me that. I think it's like, and I did talk about this in the book. I think it's more like it, we assume it's like walking. Because hearing the sense, like we have legs, eventually, you know, we will learn to walk unless we have a disability. So we have ears and I, the number of people that said, well, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. Again, that's a great idea, but I don't know how to overcome my own enemies. But it, that's the assumption. I'll tell you to listen and you should do it because the ears will take over. And hearing is a sense, listening is a skill. So it's the difference between just being able to walk and be, you know, a competitive marathon runner or sprinter or someone who is doing it in the most effective and efficient way. They're using their legs in a different way. 
Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's the difference um, in terms of how we listen. So so it's it's really a huge gap, and it's the problem that you know my mission, my company's mission is is set out to solve, which is to shift the paradigm from talking, telling, and knowing. That's what we're taught in school from a very early age. How do we tell somebody something? How do we know what we know? How do we convince people versus let me figure out how to understand? And our mission is to, is to ultimately educate kids at a much younger age so that they learn this skill from the beginning and they're not learning at 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. It's just like skiing. You know, if, you, if you're on the slopes at five, you're a much better skier from starting young than if you wait till you're 55. Yes. So that's, that's, that's really our mission is to change that paradigm and to make that happen. Okay. I think we could all benefit from it. I know there are times when the beginning of me listening to podcasts and things like that, I would have to stop where I was rewind because I just would zone out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that if you don't keep me entertained, and when I say that, if my brain's not working, <laughs> okay, that's not a good way to put it because David would say my brain's never working. But <laughs> like riding down the road, it is yep. easy for me to basically fall asleep because mm -hmm. there's nothing engaging my brain to be active. So some conversations I do, I just zone slap out. Yeah, and, and probably you're not aware of it because I know this because you're not alone. What you're describing is something we hear symptomatically quite a lot. And so here's what I'm going to so here's what I'm gonna say about that. We are wired to learn by listening to stories. You know, traditions were passed down how to use medications. Like think about how we talk at holidays, we share stories, right? But we're not taught to tell stories. We're not wired to naturally be good storytellers. So most people are terrible storytellers. So when you're listening, you're actually, the, I'm going to blame the talker more than the listener. Right off the bat, there's often confusion. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know where you're going because they're aimless in the woods. Mm -hmm. I like it too. You know, there's a main path, this path to the to the story, if you will, because you're when you're listening well, you're always gathering a story. So imagine the person talking is a storyteller now, and there's all these side trails, all these different paths they could go down other off the main path, and they can get lost deep in the woods pretty quickly. That's what happens in conversations. People talk, but they're not poignant sometimes. They're not, they're off on a side trail. You don't know where they are. This is why we call it, you need to be the guide. The listener is guiding the teller and making sure they're staying on the main path. Uh, and that that's like watching a, a movie that has a really interesting plot versus a movie that's kind of all over the place and you're not sure where it's going. Mm -hmm. You're much more interested when, when you know that the path is clear and that you're moving from one scene to the next and, under, and understand that. And so... That's part of how listening transformatively can really change how you listen and pay attention. It, it, you have to help the teller be a better storyteller along the path. By asking questions. That's one thing. That's, that's a really important aspect of it. And, and what we know is asking questions is a way of being curious. And it's, it's an important part of listening. But what we also know is that question, questioning can also interfere with listening. Yes, <laughs> so, because sometimes people are like, well, I'm thinking about what my next question is rather than what the answer was. So that's a problem. And it's also that we can also mislead the person talking onto a side trail in the woods where they get lost. So we call, so there's, there's six main tools on the listening path. This is kind of what we call listening 100, where foundationally just to be a guide in the woods and hiking well and leading the path you need these six foundational tools and then you can get more experience to get into other tools. But one of those is the compass. Mm -hmm. And the compass is what we call the six most powerful questions that will guarantee that you will, you will stay on that main trail if you use these questions. And they're the questions that great interviewers, um, journalists and therapists use. 
And we teach this to use these initially only these six questions and no other questions because the, the more specific and targeted questions actually create you getting lost in the woods with the person talking. So I'd be happy to go through those questions if that's helpful. Yes. So so the first one is, and again, I'm gonna I'm gonna liken this to you're watching a movie. So so think about when you're watching a movie, if you've ever watched a movie starting in the middle, right? Mm-hmm. And you've the first 20 minutes, not the trailers when you go to the movie theater, but you're deep into the movie and you're there late. And what happens? Well, you're confused, you're disoriented. And I'm asking David what's happening <laughs> and he's getting mad and telling me I should have watched a movie. <laughs> That's right. So it's like, you want to know what? You want to know the beginning of the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Most people, when they start a conversation, usually start somewhere in the middle of the movie. And so one of the, one of the first questions, the compass questions, is take me back to the beginning. When somebody starts, you'll notice they tend to start with the problem or just the one sentence or more. They don't really tell you the whole story. And if you just go, hold on a second, take me back to the beginning. It's amazing how that opens things up. So that's actually one of those questions. The other is, tell me more. If you listen to really good journalists, you're doing it now. You know, tell me more. You're you're hesitating or asking for more. That's a that's also a powerful question. Not tell me more about this, that, or the other thing, but just simply tell me more. Um, there's also there's two questions about feelings on the compass because one of the things we know is that feelings help us really get more of the story and get there faster. So one of them is, you know, it sounds like you feel and then you fill in the blank. Um, and the the other one is, you know, how did that make you feel? Mm-hmm. So take me back to the beginning, tell me more, how did that make you feel? It sounds like you felt. And and the fifth one is then what happened? So again, you're moving the storyteller along the path. Have you ever had the experience where somebody's talking incessantly and you're like, where is this going? Yes. Okay. Well, uh, what happened next will move them along. Because sometimes we try to be patient through that instead of prompting them to move on. And when you prompt them, they'll actually go with you if you guide them effectively. So that's also one of the more powerful questions that you can ask. And then the the sixth compass question, as we call it, that'll keep you on the main path is simply to say, hmm. And what that is, is just almost, it's almost imperceptible, but it's it's a nudge for the teller to tell you more, the person talking. And so it's sometimes you don't need to tell me more. You just naturally need that little bit of a hmm to have them to keep going. And when you pause like that, people will ultimately keep going. And then again, when you put them on the right path, they'll go in the direction that helps you be more interested so that you don't want to glaze over. So you may not be the right person to ask, but when somebody keeps talking and they won't stop, Mm -hmm. how do you interrupt them kindly? Well, I believe that interrupting is one of the most important things you can do as a listener, believe it or not. And I, I know this is contrary to a lot of what the common wisdom is, but I think it's a misnomer to think that listening is just about letting me you letting you talk and whatever you say, it doesn't matter. So there's one reason and one way to listen, to interrupt, pardon me. Um, and the only reason to interrupt is to understand. Right. So if you interrupt to understand versus interrupt to talk, that's the difference. And I'm gonna I'll take your listeners and you through how to interrupt to understand. This is another tool on what we call the listening path. And that's really the flashlight, okay? So when you're in the woods, it can get dark at times and you can get, you know, you need to shine a light to see where you are. And so when you interrupt, instead of interrupt to tell or interrupt to tell a story about yourself, which is a common thing that happens because we relate to people when they're talking, it's gonna be more like this, like, hold on a second, let me stop you and let me see if I understand. And then you shine a light on what they, they just said by repeating it or summarizing it back to them and saying, you know, this is what I think I heard you say. And it's and this is what'll happen. People will either tell you, yes, that's what you said, or they'll tell you no, and they'll tell you more. Mm-hmm. And then now you're, now you're, again, interrupting the flow of just kind of the, the constant talking to a more focused place to be. 
All right. And that's also how you can shift conversations as you get more experienced as a as a listener. And I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, okay, well, this is great and all, but I would be so distracted trying to say, okay, the next thing I need to do is say what happened next or something like that. (laughs) And then I'm thinking, but it's, it's like everything else. And it's like the nacho thing. Once you learn to do it and you keep doing it, it gets easier and it becomes second nature. It's not like people that talk to you like that are making themselves ask that question just to seem interested. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense that, and, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. It, it is, it is going to feel overwhelming at first. This is a new way of listening and even the idea of interrupting. And you use the words, how do we do it kindly? If I get you mm-hmm. kindly. So, so, you know, being interrupting kindly is to understand. I, I often prepare people at times once I have a relation, I may interrupt you if I'm confused and then, I, you know, so then they're ready for it. But, it, but people don't mind if you interrupt them, if they, if you're interrupting to, to understand them, they're going to mind it if you interrupt them to tell them something that they don't want to hear. So that's the difference, but it does take practice. I, I heard, um, I heard a Navy SEAL talking, he gave us a, a speech at a sales kickoff. And he said, look, most people think in a crisis, they're going to rise to the level of competence they need, the adrenaline will kick in, or they'll just figure it out. Right. Mm-hmm. And in fact, why the SEALs are so successful is because they they train so you know hard in situations. We we sadly and 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 thankfully saw this in Nashville. Those officers never worked together before. They went into the school and their training kicked in. I heard one of the guys talking about it. Because when we're under stress, we rise to the level of training, not to the level of competence we hope to achieve. So mm-hmm. we simply have to practice what we're doing. And this is outlined, this is the third part of the book. And, and what we what we work with our clients to do is to teach them these tools so that they know exactly how to pull the flashlight out. They know exactly how to use the compass and to use the other, the other things. And this becomes the story and the language that they use to kind of orient themselves in conversations so that it's second nature. Right. Well, I know a lot of times we don't listen to our kids. Mm. You have to make a conscious effort. You have to put your phone down or at least look up from it and engage with them because you won't hear what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And I will admit there have been times when I've asked Jackson in the past, have you done your homework? Mm -hmm. And five minutes later, I'm like, did he say he did his homework? Mm -hmm. And so I'll say, Jackson, did you do your homework? He's like, yes, I already told you. Yeah. And then 10 minutes later, I'll go back in there and I'm kidding at that point. And I said, Jackson, he said, if you ask me one more time, if I've done my (laughs) homework, you're going in a home. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And I think that's, look, that's very human. And I think that's very benign. That's very task oriented. And I don't think those are the moments that matter so much. doesn't mean it doesn't cause any frustration, but I think what's, and, and by the way, you know, even when we work with our corporate clients, the first thing we do is help them to learn how to listen to their kids and families differently, because that's the first step, right? And we've had some amazing stories of how this has transformed relationships, marriages, parent-child relationship, friends. So so what the, the moments that matter is, is when you don't know your, your child's going through something, mm-hmm. or that they talk about going through something and and how you listen in those moments. And 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 again, I used to I've done so much work with families over my career and I've always prefaced it with, look, I'm not a parent, so that's the bad news. And the good news is I'm not a parent, but I am highly trained. So I have a different perspective. So it's I have a, a sense of like I can I can lens back and, and help you see things that maybe in the moment you don't see. Mm-hmm. But We've, as you know, we've all, as parents, we've experienced a lot. And so when our kids are going through things and because we love them so deeply, we want to help them and we want to solve the problem. And so what tends to happen is we start advising or trying to fix it for them in the moment when they're talking rather than helping them come to their own conclusions. It's, it's hard. And I, as a parent, I can only try to imagine what that must feel like when you see your kid in pain. So, so part of it is helping is listening in a, in a way that creates the connection and the insights. And so 
So we had a, a gentleman in one of our workshops. He was a he's a pharmaceutical um, senior account executive, large companies, and and a pretty big job. And we give a homework assignment, just like you spoke to, about how do you practice these tools in, in real life. So after the the workshop, the first thing we do is give them that assignment, and they're to gather a story using the the tools with a loved one. And the second workshop, the day two of the workshop, he came back and said he got the first unelicited hug from his 16-year-old daughter that he got in three years. Oh. Yeah. That is awesome. He was like, I don't know how to thank you. Isn't that the best? It's so gratifying. Remember, you know, part of me and the work and the reason this work matters is I had a mother who didn't feel seen based on her losses and, and what how she showed up. And, and I know the the power of not feeling seen. So listening is about to understand is really about helping someone not only feel heard, but to feel seen in a different way. And that, that creates a connection and a bond and um, it's powerful. And so, you know, this is part of why this matters that we learn this younger. So, and I mean, when I tell you, I'm only scratching the surface in terms of the kinds of stories we've heard and how, this solves the listening solves most problems if you learn how to do it well. Doesn't take care of everything, but a lot of problems get solved by learning how to listen. Right. That is true. So do you have kids? I do not. Okay. I do not. I, I have four nieces though. Okay. So when your nieces don't listen to you, you tell them something they don't listen. Mm-hmm. You know they didn't listen because either they didn't respond, they didn't react. Uh because a lot of times we hear but we don't listen, right? Yeah. When they don't listen, do you say, okay, what are the tools that we've taught you to listen? Mm-hmm. So this is, so I'm, I'm thinking, because they're older now, they're in their 20s. Um, I didn't have that problem a lot with them. And for, I'm going to say that's for two reasons, I believe. One is I didn't dare to tell them anything without making sure I listened to them all the, you know, first, right, from, mm-hmm. from moment one. And so, so when, you know, I had my one niece was over, this was years and years ago, and um, she was probably only seven at the time, but the neighbor was over and uh, the neighbor wanted to come in and out of the house, you know, as parents, you have this all the time, in and out of the house, but my niece knew better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so the, the young, the, the neighbor girl said, can I go in the house, Christine? And I, you know, and my niece goes, don't even try it. It's, she, it's not going to work. It's not going to so, work. <laughs> she just knew. And I think, you know, I, I think because, you know, the connection of, again, full-time versus part-time. So I want to say this with all due respect, but I think what you earn the right so much more when you really listen to understand the perspective. And, and I, that doesn't mean you talk to, to kids in every moment and every decision. It just means the foundation was really of, of great respect because I respected them through understanding their perspective. So I think that really helped, mm-hmm. helps a lot. So for the tougher moments, it's not that, you know, we never, I never had to discipline them. I certainly did, but the disciplining was a lot easier because that of the trust that I had built with them, because I had understand them on a, on a pretty profound level, I believe. Right. Yes. So Christine, share with us how this could help blended families. Well, I, I look at it like you're really, when you're blending a family, you're really bringing two different cultures together, right? So that there's a lot of navigation from my perspective and my experience starting as a young therapist. I think I mentioned off, off the air that I, I started my career as a home-based family therapist. So I was 22 years old knocking on people's doors and saying, hi, I'll be your family therapist. So it was very interesting. The only reason I really survived that world was because I already had the ability to listen. So I was able to really, I didn't know anything. So I just really sought to understand, but worked with quite a number of blended families. And, you know, there's a lot of, and I know your listeners know this, there's a lot of things to navigate because of whose mom, whose dad, who's able to do what. And so if you're really not listening to what's not said, you're going to step on a lot of landmines. And earning trust in a blended family as a co-parent, but a step-parent is a huge, huge lift um, from, from what, I, what I have worked with over the years. So 
So listening to understand rather than to solve is a, is a great way for a co-parent and step-parent to really engender trust and earn the right to do more parenting work within the household. So it's, it's very, very powerful because it's frustrating when you're seeing things happen as a parent and it's affecting your kids and, and your blended family and you're not really sure why it's not working when you're trying to parent your stepchildren is, was my experience. I, I don't, I'd be helpful to hear a little bit more in terms of what your listeners are experiencing and dealing with. Well, I know one thing is a lot of times when they do try to communicate about things, one of them will get defensive. Usually the bio parent will get defensive when the step parent says something negative about the step kid. Yeah. And it just completely shuts down and they don't have the tools to put it back on track. Well, because it's like, I'm allowed to criticize my child, but don't you, even if I love you and you're my partner, it's, 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 it's a, it's a Chris. I mean, it's like our mothers or our fathers, like I'm allowed to talk. (laughs) Don't you dare. Exactly. I say that all the time. (laughs) That's just a thing. Well, so, so we call this, you need to earn the right. And how do you earn the right to say things that people don't want to hear? So I've been in the business of telling people what they don't want to hear for a very, very long time as an executive coach and as a family therapist. So same here, same here. And there's a skill to that, right? And it's not, it's not just let me look, I might know what I want to say within 30 seconds, but I'm not going to say it. That's not how that works. I'm even if I see it and I and th- this is true across the board. What I'm going to do is make sure I understand you before I dare to go down a road that you don't want to go down. And so, you know, if I'm if I'm talking to my partner, I might say like, you know, it's you love your child, you know, it's you see him struggling, it's really difficult. Whatever the scenario is, I would make sure I deeply understand the perspective of my partner and not just think I understand it, but convey that I understand it. We're back to that flashlight. How do you shine a light on the things you understand and really let them know that, that how, what's, what their perspective is before I would say, do you mind if I tell you what I think? Right. All right. And so, but that's the step we miss in families in business in life. We go right to solving the problem, right to telling somebody what we think, right to advising. And even in a relationship, every day you have to earn that right. It's not taken for granted. Every conversation, I believe you need to earn that right. So I had a guy, you know, about a year ago, it was just so funny because he's like, I had to tell him some things he really didn't want to hear. And that, you know, for 20 minutes in, I got to that point and he took it in and he goes, I don't know why I don't mind when you tell me this. And I said, well, let me give you the keys to the kingdom here. We've been talking for 22 minutes now. And I spent the first 20 making sure that I listened, used, shined a light on what you said, made sure and affirmed that I understood what you said before I dared to tell you what I think. Did I, did I have an idea of what I wanted to say to you in the first five minutes? Absolutely. I, I waited because I wanted to make sure I understood you before I told you what I thought. Because I knew I was talking a lot, <laughs> but I realized that's what was happening. So, so it's it's not magic. It's it's really just about we call it slowing down to speed up. I need to do the front end work before I do the back end. Now I'm not going to change my strategy if I have to tell him something else. He's not going to start off and I'm going to just go, okay, here I go. Mm-hmm. I'm going to wait. I'm going to listen. I'm going to do the same things before I tell him. So when we're in relationships and especially when the hecticness of co-parenting and, and blended families, we take for granted that we, we've already earned the rest, tra- trust and, and respect to do that. And I think you have to do it every time. Yeah. And so much of what you just said in that last little bit, was so true to step families. You have to earn that right. Yep. And every day, because it's tumultuous emotionally, it's it's acceptance is hard. Love, you know, love is is the foundation, but there's a lot more to it to really make it work from my my clinical experience and to 
and to be intimately, you know, in people's homes. And again, at a very young age where, where I was an intruder in their homes. So for them to allow that space for, I mean, we took video cameras into the home so we could tape the sessions. I mean, it was intense. So I, I learned very quickly that trust component, both within the families and, and when I was working with them. And it's, and again, I think what happens is too often we get to a point where our, our spouse or partner says, yeah, tell me, it's a, tell me, you know, they may even listen, but then the next time something comes up, we start right in the middle of the movie again, instead of going back and making sure we understand before we, we tell what we don't like or tell what we think. Um, and as I said, it's just, it's, it's an everyday thing that we have to make sure we're respecting our partner and how personal this is when we say things that aren't flattering about their their kids or vice versa. Yeah. And I think also you have to earn the right to say something negative about somebody's kid. And when I say that, they have to know that it's coming from a place of love. Yeah. Yeah. And the closer we are to somebody, the more we take those things for granted. I, I, I like this. You know, we talked earlier about being curious and questions and you know, take a five-year-old, like they, they, the world is new to them. So they're constantly asking, you know, why, why, what's this, what's that about? They're curious, curious. But the more that you know something, the less interested you become in some ways, mm-hmm. right? Like I live, in, I live in Chester County, Pennsylvania. It's beautiful. There's many beautiful, you know, places to go and see. And I think, you know, I, sometimes I have to lens back and go, pretend you're on vacation, You'd be thrilled to look at everything around you if you're on vacation. Yes. But in this environment, I just, it's, it's the landscape. It's just what I'm used to seeing. That's families right there. Yes. We take for granted. And so we, I often say we don't go to an art museum and look at the Monet standing six, six inches from the picture. We have to lens back so that we can see the whole landscape versus just the brush, brush strokes. Mm-hmm. So we're in the brush strokes when we're, not lensing back and saying, let me talk about first why this is hard for you, why this is hard for us as a family. This is what I, why I care, why I love, why I would this. Let me make sure I get you before we talk about what's wrong. Or like you said, tell somebody something difficult about their child. There's nothing more personal, no one more personal you can criticize. Even if they agree, they'll still take it personally, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's hard very hard. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very important to realize that that stuff takes time. Mm -hmm. You can't just come in straight out of the gate, little Johnny, this little Johnny, that your partner's going to get defensive quickly. And they're going to stop listening to you because all you're doing is complaining about their kid. That's right. That's right. And again, so there's agreement and there's alignment. And so I think sometimes we listen to create agreement and we don't have to agree on the problems or the reasons, but we can align around how we're going to proceed. That's the other thing. So I think, you know, listening is not about we're going to agree to disagree. Nothing that bugs me a lot. I, you know, it's really more maybe we don't agree, but we're going to align. We're going to agree how we move forward together. That's important because, as you know, that co parenting being step-in-step is so important to the blended and all families, even if there's not always agreement. And so if we seek to understand, that gets us there faster, and that makes a big difference too. So, you know, these are choppy waters yeah, for sure. Yep, it is. Well, thank you again for being a guest, and we hope to talk to you soon. That sounds great. I'd love it. Thank you for having me. So, David, you're right. I do have the G, but I don't think it's old G. I think it's old gosh. Yeah, either way, it's there. You drove me crazy the other night when we went out to eat with my dad and them. I did? Yes, you're trying to aggravate Mackenzie, which is my great niece. No, she's aggravating me. She was doing nothing. And you kept saying, did the doctor tell you this? And we kept repeating yourself. And I couldn't (laughs) even turn my head straight because your face was there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Lord, give me strength. It's getting rough. It made her laugh, and she looked like she's like in the funk zone or something. She was like behaving she, for once. Is that what that looks like? I mean, 
It looked to me like somebody threatened to kill her. <laughs> she had this somber look on her face like her puppy just died. Well, I think she just had that little surgery on her leg. and Right. So yeah. I'm trying to bring the laughter like any good person would do when somebody looks like they're in a funk. Yeah, but then I changed spots with her and then you pretty much quit talking to her. No, I didn't. Like then I aggravated her the rest of the time. <laughs> well, she's gotten a lot better at responding to your aggravation. I'm I'm building up a lot of good qualities in her of being patient and um how to respond to people properly. If you ignore somebody, is it ignorant? I think so. It's part of the word. That's what I'm wondering. Because I was going to say she's learning how to be ignorant because she's learning maybe, how to ignore you. Maybe if you rant after you've ignored somebody, then it's an ignorant. <laughs> so that would mean that would mean that you are very ignorant because after you ignore me for so long, you start <laughs> ranting about things, which makes you an ignorant. Or at least it makes what you're saying ignorant. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right, folks. <laughs> so, if you are interested in learning more about listening. <laughs> or being ignorant. <laughs> no, just listening. Okay. Check out listen. Christine's book. Again, it is, what is it costing you to not listen? See, if I wrote a book, it'd be like, why you ain't listening? Or why ain't you listening? David. I'm trying to listen. Which one do you want? <laughs> That's it. Wrap it up right now. I can't take it. All right, fine, folks. We'll be back next week, and I'll listen to more of what she's got to say. And it still won't be good enough, because then she'll say, why ain't you talking? Because you can't talk and listen at the same time, at least not effectively. Maybe you should get that book and read it. Anyway, folks, we'll join you next week. I think I'll be here if I'm not dead. <laughs> Remember, life is good when you listen. <laughs> when you nacho. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nacho Kids podcast. Find us online at nachokids.com. Until next time, remember, life is good when you nacho.